to get a background. And, and we're doing it again because I want to reset, if we will, what's happening here. These next few chapters could kind of be a book all unto themselves because what is happening is as we've gone through the life of Jesus now, we take this pause, if you will, chapters 13 through 17, and this is all what's going to be said between Jesus and his disciples before Jesus is arrested. Uh, it's often referred to as the upper room discourse. It's, it's unique in the Gospels, and John gives us this great insight into what's going on in these last uh, few hours that Jesus has with his disciples uh, during Jesus's earthly ministry. And so we'll do somewhat of a reset and kind of get our mind uh, set in, in the, the setting here, if you will. But let, let me read uh, John chapter 13, just the first verse. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this discourse we get. Jesus with his disciples knowing that these words are intended for us as well. And so we ask as we look at this that you will speak to our hearts, strengthen us in your truth, through Jesus Christ. Amen. And I suppose it's good that we uh, come to this part of, of the book of John at this time of year. And, and the reason for that is, uh, growing up, uh, there was always this point, it was right around this time of year, usually it happened uh, just before September, where I grew up, and the time I grew up, school never really started until Labor Day, until early September, sometimes maybe the last couple days of August, but usually it was September, but at some point in August, there was always this fear, great terror actually of, oh no, summer's coming to an end. And school's going to start, and my whole life is ruined for the next however many months. And, and all of a sudden, time was really important. And you wanted to maximize the time. I remember that growing up. Okay, I have one more camping trip I can take. And, and one more time, we'll tube down the river and all of these things. I've got to make use of this time because it's going to come to an end. And Jesus' earthly ministry is about to come to an end and he's maximizing his time right now he did everything with a purpose but now he's got these few precious hours really uh, to spend with his disciples and it's really magnificent that John writes this all down for us that God has preserved it for us because we get to hear what Jesus teaches in these last few hours. These are really important things. He wants his disciples to know this after he's gone. We get to hear Jesus pray, and it's a great prayer in chapter 17, and, and we'll spend time on that when we get to it. But he's, he's got his disciples with him now, and there's things he wants to know. The Puritan Thomas Manton puts it this way, Christ was then thinking that he should shortly depart 
His thoughts were not on his glory so much as our danger. He did not think of angels and glorified saints, but of his own in the world. That those are those that were left to the miseries and temptations of an evil and unquiet world. He was careful of our estate after his departure. And that's what Christ is doing. He's not focusing on how wonderful and glorious he is. He's showing his heart to his disciples, showing, I care for you. His glory just shines through all of it because of who he is. And through the life that we've looked at as we went through the book of John and, and seen all of the things that have happened, we've, we've seen Jesus tired and Jesus hungry. We've seen him misunderstood quite often, even by his own friends, those closest to him who couldn't figure him out. Uh, mistreated even by some that surprised us along the way. His family didn't believe in him. He was accused by the religious leaders, uh, called names, and threatened with death a few times. And, and now he knows that death is really coming. He's been set up. You know, he would set him up and, and try to ask him these questions and tempt him into going one way or the other. And Jesus always had an answer, even when they thought there was going to be no good answer. And he's lived this life of through all kinds of hardships and trials and misunderstandings when they couldn't figure him out. And now it's before the feast of the Passover, we see. And he knows that his, his hour is here. Now the Passover, that's somewhat significant. There's a lot of sim symbolic uh, significance in it. But also... It's interesting because the religious leaders, they don't really want to kill Jesus right now. There's too many people in town. And they're afraid of the people. And, and so they said, let's wait. And you can read that in Mark chapter 14. Let, let, let's not do it now. Let's wait. There's too many people around. But, but we can clearly see they're not in charge of the timing. God is in charge of all of this. Jesus has everything under control and his hour is here and and even going back to chapter two if you remember all the way back to the his first miracle they call it the turning water into wine and at that point he said my hour's not yet come way back in chapter two and that's kind of been a theme that's gone through the hour's not yet here my time isn't quite yet but then when we got to chapter 12 as you saw in verse 23 he acknowledges the hour's come. And, and here it is. The hour has come to depart out of this world. And notice that word world is used a couple of times in this verse. Having loved his own who were in the world. The word world actually in these next few chapters, from chapters 13 through 17, it gets mentioned 40 times. It's kind of a big deal. And Jesus is going to show this sharp contrast between his own 
And this mass of lost humanity, which he calls the world, then. In other words, he's going to show the contrast between godliness and worldliness. But he does so knowing that his own are living in this world. Until the final vindication, until he comes back again, we're in this world. Uh, D.A. Carson writes this, if God loves the world, and he quotes from John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, if God loves the world, it is in order to draw men and women out of it. The world loves its own. Jesus loves his own. And he'll build on that in John chapter 15. We'll talk a lot more about that. But here he is with his disciples, and he knows that they're going to be in this world. And the other word you see mentioned a couple times is love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Love is the ruling, uh, it's the ruling motive in what Jesus is teaching, in what Jesus is doing. His love is, is steadfast, and though he knows what's coming, he will love to the end. And though he knows why it's coming, he will love to the end. And that word end, uh, it, in the Greek, it's telos. And I know the Pew Bibles, the NIV, they translate that. My translation reads, he loved them to the end. In the NIV, it's translated... I believe he now showed them the full extent of his love, which isn't a bad translation. You could, you could translate it that way. But tell us as, as end, he loved them to the end. I, I prefer that, and I think John is pointing something out to us, or God has this written in a certain way, because we see that word uh, in this verse here, tell us, in its noun form. I uh, loved them to the end. We're going to come across the same root word, but it's going to be in its verbal form uh, down the line. It's going to be a while before we get to it, but it comes up in chapter 19, verse 30. And it's used as a verb, and it's translated as finished when Jesus says it is And then John writes, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He loved them to the end. And he knows he's on that cross because of their sin. He's on that cross because of our sin. He died for sinners. Endured the bitter agonies and the horrors of the cross for his own and loved them to the end. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, comments on this verse, and he writes, we love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loves through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. 
And he gives this great illustration. He said, Jesus' love is not like an arrow that's shot and quickly flies and then falls to the ground, but it's more like an avalanche that starts and just picks up momentum and gets larger as it goes. John notes that it is out of his love that Jesus does all of this, that he teaches these things. And Jesus will teach of many things. He's going to speak of being betrayed. He'll speak of being denied. One of his closest disciples going to deny him. He'll talk about being hated by the world, him being hated by the world, and his own being hated by the world. But he's also going to speak of the Holy Spirit and his glorious and encouraging work that he will work in his own. He'll speak of overcoming the world and of sorrow turning to joy and his relationship with the Father. And, and he'll pray this great prayer, as I mentioned, in John 17, as he prays for them and as he prays for us. And we'll see that in his prayer. And even though he will endure unimaginable torture because of his disciples, because of them, and because of us, and because of our sin, he'll love to the end. Uh, Thomas Manton, if I can quote him again, he writes this, when he had most cause to loathe sinners, then he loved them. Christ was not weary of suffering for sinners, and God will not be weary of pardoning them. And that's what I want us to hold on to as we start this study, as we begin this idea that he will love you to the end. And that God will not be weary of Hardening his own. Come to him to be forgiven. You know, that's, that's our message. And that's the thing that we remind ourselves of all the time. Come to Christ. Repent of those sins. That's why he's on that cross. That's why he died. And he's victorious. He's risen. He's a savior. Come to him. He loves to the end. And because of that, our future, of course, is secure. We are forgiven because he did die on the cross and because he rose again. But even more than that, our presence is secure. Because here's the thing. He loves his own and he cannot do otherwise. He loves his own, and that is his nature. That's who he is. God is love. He can do nothing else. As the Puritan uh, John Bunyan writes, he loves his own to the end of their lives, to the end of their sins, to the end of their temptations, to the end of their fears. And everything he teaches is teaching out of love. And as he goes to the cross, he goes out of love. And in between entering that building, the upper room, and the cross, he's got this time to teach his disciples. 
and he wants them to know of his love. He'll tell them of things that they will face in this world. And in anticipation of what's coming up as we look further in the weeks to come at what Jesus will tell us, his disciples, in this last time of his earthly ministry, uh, I want, I'm going to use some words from Sinclair Ferguson and he's, his great book, Lessons from the Upper Room. And, and just feel free to let your mind go with Sinclair Ferguson as he sets the stage for us. And I love how he does this. He writes this. In our imagination, let us climb the stairs leading to an upper room on a house in Jerusalem. Here, we can eavesdrop on what transpired during the late afternoon and evening of the day before the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. Thirteen men have come together for a Passover meal. One will leave early on a mission of betrayal. The remaining twelve will later make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. From there, they will be scattered one will be taken by force on a nightmare journey. He will be crucified. By this time tomorrow, the lifeless body of Jesus of Nazareth will be carried to a garden tomb. But this is not the end, just the end of the beginning. For early on Sunday morning, he will rise again from the dead. He now lives forever as prince and savior. All this is still to come. For now, we have arrived at the upper room. He wants to show his disciples that he loves them to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for sending Christ into this world. For his love that he shows us in taking this time to reveal to his disciples the things that make up our lives in this world, all guided by his love, for taking the time to strengthen us. Lord, we thank you for that. We do ask as we go through these lessons that he teaches in the upper room that you will speak to our hearts, strengthen us, knowing that you love your own in this world. And we give you thanks for the Holy Spirit who gives meaning to your words in our hearts and gives meaning to our lives in this world. Lord, thank you for loving us to the end. Through Jesus Christ, amen.